So beautiful. Thank you. I invite you to stand for the reading of God's word this morning. We'll take our teaching from the Old Testament from the prophet Micah, a very well-worn passage. Micah chapter 6. Please listen as I read. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with thousands of rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for these transgressions, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? Please read with me, church. To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with this is the word of God. You can be seated. It is, it is extremely well known, this passage we just read together, do justice, love, mercy, walk humbly. You don't have to claim God as your creator, Jesus as your redeemer, the Holy Spirit as your guide to know these words. You don't even have to be Christian. You don't have to be Jewish. You could be an atheist or an agnostic or a humanist. One could be Buddhist or Hindu or our Muslim brothers and sisters even. It seems everyone has heard of this teaching to do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly. And it appears to be a wise teaching. It appears our lives go better when we do these things, justice, love, and humility. It's simple. Do justice motivated by mercy and walk humbly, which means don't take yourself so seriously. Take God seriously. You feel the prophet would say, for crying out loud. Simple. It's a simple sentence. By the time we get to this in, in the, the story with Micah the prophet, they are in a hopelessly chaotic situation, and God has offense with the people. It's a courtroom scene. We can think of it as a divine courtroom where God is the prosecuting attorney, and the nation of Israel has been called for a case against them. It is so bad that the foundations of the earth are involved, that the foundations of the earth will be witnesses. They'll be the juror to the trial. If you read this passage in a King James Bible, you'll get all this technical legal language. The offenses are piled up to the sky. They've taken property and land and food. They've left people hungry and homeless. They've built the city of Jerusalem on the blood of bodies. The offenses are so bad that the, the priests only perform services for a fee and the judges and the rulers take bribes. The prophets cry peace when their stomachs are full, but they scream for war when their stomachs are empty. God has this case against the people in Micah chapter 6, and it's been a long speech from the prophet Micah. Detailed, long list. The people beg Micah, stop, stop, we can't, no, we, don't, we can't hear anymore. Please, Micah. Micah tells the people this is going to end with your city destroyed, just so you know. Nobody's escaping alive in this story. 
And this is when we hear the voice of God speaking to the people. Do you remember your story? Do you remember your journey? Do you remember I brought you out of Egypt? Do you remember this long relationship? Do you remember the people who had offenses against you and who threatened you? Do you remember how I brought you to this place? Do you remember your God? God speaks to the people. And this is when a few human voice asks God, then what could we do to make this right, God? What could we do so you'll be happy again? We like a happy deity. Could we, could we give you our cattle? Could we give you our ox bathed in olive oil? Could we sacrifice our firstborn? We'd be willing to do that, God, if it would cheer you up, if it would set the offenses right. What can we do? God says there is no new thing to learn. Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly. In fact, if you remember how that text actually begins, you have known, O oh human, you were already taught this, mortal. This is an old idea that we continue to live out today. You have known how to do all of these things. If you had done these things, we wouldn't be here. This life is preventable, the prophet Micah tells the people. God's angry because God's involved, but God doesn't actually burn the city down. Jerusalem is never torched over God's anger. Micah was wrong. Micah tells the people, don't be afraid, be accountable then. Don't be afraid, be accountable. Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly. Not to pay for all of your offenses, but do this as a way of preventing offenses. This is preventative teaching from the prophet Micah. Justice is proactive, and I want to pause right here. If you picked up a worship guide today, that was this. Um, there on the racks when you come in, or someone might have handed one to you. On the front, there is an exercise that says, go ahead and scribble down your definition of justice. When we say justice, what comes to mind? How do you define or describe justice? Justice is what? There's a moment for you to write down what you think justice is. We all come to these definitions our own way, right? And then if I were to add an, a modifier to that, biblical justice, and you were to write that definition, what is biblical justice? And how does your definition change because we asked for it to be biblical now? What is biblical justice when you define it? And take this home and think about it if you didn't do it yet today. And what's the core then of your definition? When you think about justice, when you define justice, is it largely that thing that sets, sets the experience right? Is it largely driven by a punishment or a penalty? Is your definition of justice driven by uh, accountability or equalizing things in the equation here? When we think justice, what do we think? Because your definition and my definition are probably different, and the person sitting next to you, we all inherited our ideas of justice, likely. What do you think of when we say justice? Well, if you want to read the philosophers, that's maybe about two of us here. Anybody want to read Plato's Republic this morning? Two of us. Plato's Republic, written a few hundred years before Jesus, that's the theme of Plato's entire essay. What would the, the government and civil life be like if we acted ethically? Would we be happier? Would it be a better life? Would people actually treat each other better on their way to getting what they want? Would things be more efficient? Would it, 
Would we do ourselves well to do lives of justice? Maybe you're with the philosophers when you think about justice. Or maybe you're with this image on our branding, this lady justice, who has a long history, this one. We say ancient Rome and we say Greek, Greek and Greek goddesses, but her history goes back to ancient Egypt, in fact. She comes to us blindfolded because they want us to know she's impartial and she holds a scales because she intends to measure and weigh the evidence. Sometimes she has a sword. These are very late additions to this figurine. Sometimes there's a sword because getting to justice means she cuts quickly and sometimes her sword is broken because it was work to get there. Some people say, well, it's, you don't need a blindfold or we can already tell she's going to be impartial because of her maidenly form. That's the language that she used. I shall say no more about her maidenly form. She's young. She, of course she'll be impartial, some people say. When you think about justice, do you think about this then? More like lawyers and jurors and judges, that justice will be served, that justice will be done, that we are innocent until guilty, and when guilty, then we will set things right with some kind of punishment. When you think about justice, are you there? However you think about justice, we probably inherited our ideas, and I'm asking us now for the next few weeks to try to think beyond. Try to think beyond wherever we are today or be think at least critically. Justice, what is it? So when I'm little and my brother and I are sitting together in the closet playing in the bedroom, he bit my shoulder. And when he realized it was bleeding, he said to me, I'm so sorry. And he turned his shoulder to me and said, here, bite me, right here. If I bit you, you bite me. We're tiny. I could be off on who bit whom first. Just <laughs> little details. Is that your idea of justice? Here, I bit you, you bit me. Is justice in sixth grade when we play the trick on the teacher and his desk drawer falls out and all the things go all over the floor? He stands up in front of the classroom and says, well, we'll stay here the rest of the afternoon because I have all the power and I'll give you all Fs on your tests. So those of you who did this, would you like to come forward now or shall we just let this play out? Is this how you learned about your justice? A few years ago I saw, I came home and a guy was stealing oranges off of our orange trees. He had ba Stater Brother bags in his hands. He had plucked all these oranges. I came home, I see this guy, I walk into the backyard, I said, hey. And he looked at me, grabbed his bags and just walked right by me and out into the street and he just kept walking and I'm on the corner going, hey, those are my oranges. Hey, you can't do that. I went back in the house. I was, what do you do now when they steal your oranges? I started chasing the guy down the street. Guy's running, I'm running, I'm finally stopped. These are oranges, what are we doing? You can't have my oranges, they're mine. Where did you get your idea of justice? It comes to us in many layered ways. This four weeks, five weeks now, we're going to be thinking about biblical justice. When we open scripture and we ask the Bible to teach us about justice, what do we learn? Because it's more than having an orderly, decent, civil life, although sometimes that is exactly what justice brings us. It's more than actually making sure everyone has enough, but sometimes that's what justice brings us, we'll see. It's more than punishing offenders, but sometimes offenders 
are punished because that's what justice brings us. We'll see. I want to borrow these uh, two dynamics from the philosopher Nicholas uh, Wolsterstorff. This, this philosopher, philosopher says, in the Bible, there are at least two dynamics of justice. I find this useful. And we will stay in this for a little while these weeks until we think we understand it. Two kinds. Two different Hebrew words in the Bible. Zedek is this righteousness. It often gets translated righteousness, and we might think of we have our act together, we're morally pure, we, we are upright with God, but that's not at all what it means. It means everyday living with fairness and generosity and equity. It means give the guy your oranges and he doesn't have to steal them. It's everyday generous living, this one word, Zedek. But there's another word in the Bible, Mishpat. Mishpat is a more assertive and urgent kind of justice. This is what happens when we have to step in and protect people, when we have to step in and defend, sometimes when we have to punish. These two are quite different, and both of these function in the Old Testament, and I'm focusing there for a couple of weeks because this is Jesus' tradition. By the way, every story we read from the Gospel of Luke leading up to the Easter weekend, every one of those stories, were adjusted. they were all justice stories. This is where Jesus got it from. So think with me then about this uh, difference here between these everyday, generous, living choices that we make and then the more urgent kind of justice choices that we make. They're more urgent care, more activism, more advocacy that we make. In the book of Job, if you wanted to read more about this this afternoon, go to Job 29 and 31, and you'll see Job, when he's reflecting on his own life, he said, both of these words are used, and he's doing inventory. Why is my life so terrible? And Job says, Zach, give me the next, um, give me the next screen, will you? This is a good example for Job. Everyday generous living, Job says, but I gave people bread, I shared from my bread. I took care of widows who were at my gate. In Job chapter 29 and 31, Job says, I'm trying to take inventory. I'm pretty sure that, that I did these things. And wait a minute, let me think even further. I took care of the immigrant. And I took people out of the mouths and the jaws of those who were attacking them. So Job can even remember this side of the equation. He's done all of this kind of justice in his life. And he, he's asking himself, why then is my life so terrible? It turns out none of this is really so special. This is simply what life looked like living together. Social living, all of our relationships, all of our communal life together. Everybody socially connected, no, no need for Twitter and all the things. So this is regular life, this kind of justice. Sometimes it'll be urgent, Sometimes it'll just be everyday generosity. When our girls were little and they went to Redlands Academy, I was telling these gals over here, we have two of these dresses hanging in our closet at home. We've been wearing white and black a long time at RAA. On the way back and forth to the academy, we'd get off at Tennessee, we'd drive up the street to the school, and we would see the woman with a sign, needing diapers, she's got babies. And now I am realizing when my children are asking me in the morning, Mom, are we going to stop and give the lady diapers today? They are very basic, everyday, generous living. 
We see you, is what Everyday Generous Living says. We see you, we see that you're our neighbor, we see that you're in need, we see you have babies and you need help. What my children were asking me to do was not something spectacular, it was really rather average. And on the days we were busy, or in the months we were busy, I would say no, wrong answer. Wrong answer. Everyday, generous, living, that's what it looks like. So let me give you some examples this morning, church. If the topic is food, and we're gonna think of the spectrum here from everyday generous living over here all the way to the more urgent activism that might be required, the way the Bible teaches us. If it's generous living, this is we share our meals and we take responsibility to eat and feed one another and we clean up and we try not to waste and we make sure people around us in the neighborhood also have food. That's basic, generous everyday living. But sometimes we might find out that people need a little more, which is why there's a food drive. You'll see the bins in the lobby next week. This is for our international students on campus at La Sierra University. Who better to feed them than us, right? There's a list in the literature racks. Please look at it as you leave today. Because these are students who come from other countries who can't actually take jobs here, who are trying to pay their way through school, right? It requires a little more, a little, uh, a little more of a lift in our action towards them. But then what if we get all the way to the far side here where we know there are people around the world who will not eat unless some of us raise our voices and pick up a megaphone and go to Washington? This week there was conversation at the nation's capital lobbying. These are some Adventist pastors. I was, I was hoping to go on this trip. ADRA sponsored this, and isn't it beautiful? They asked some Adventist pastors, will you come to Washington and lobby with us? Because ADRA, the people who do disaster and development relief across the oceans, they know that budgets are being threatened right now in Washington, D.C. And sometimes you need people to go to Washington, meet with senators, which they did this week, sit across the table and say, you don't understand, unless we have this money, people will die. ADRA did that during the AIDS epidemic, epidemic a couple of decades ago and protected budgets. That's this kind of justice, this more urgent activism. If the topic is food, what about if the topic is housing? We would hope that everybody has a safe place to dwell. And if we have extra rooms in our houses, we make space for others. Many of you over the years living close to the university have done this. We would make sure that uh, if we see people who don't have a place to live, that we would be in conversation with them. Not necessarily the first jump will be over to the shelter, or the first jump will be to bring them food on the sidewalk. The first, the first jump might be to say, I see you, what's your name? This is my name. We notice you don't have a place to live. Life must be tough. We attempt to connect them to resources, but sometimes it gets more urgent. This is Sacramento this last year, and you know the state of California and the nation is in a housing crisis right now. You know, we counted 2,800 people without homes in January this year in our city. Sometimes we have to go downtown to City Hall. This Tuesday night, 7 p.m., City of Riverside, downtown. That's a night you could go downtown and use your voice because there's a building project happening at a parish, St. Michael's Parish on Jackson Street. They're gonna build some units, 50, 60 units. Some of them will house retired bishops who don't have enough retirement income. Some of those units will house people on a sliding scale who don't have a place to live in the City of Riverside. They're gonna build that right in their church courtyard. Can you believe it? 
It's beautiful. So some of us need to go down to City Hall Tuesday night at 7 p.m. and exercise this kind of justice and say, it's gonna be okay if St. Michael's builds some units. What if the topic is welcoming the stranger or the neighbor in our country? It means we make friends and relationships with people who are different from us. It means we go to their homes and we invite them to their homes. It means when we see people who are struggling in this country, we try to step into their lives and be useful. Sometimes it means more extreme things. On the left here, these are Guatemalan migrants. During the week leading up to Easter, 450, 450 migrating souls from Guatemala were dropped off at the Greyhound bus station in Blythe, California. They're processed, by the way. They're now waiting a trial date. They're just dropped off at the bus station. The picture that you're looking at here is the Blythe Seventh-day Adventist Church Fellowship Hall, currently housing dozens of these friends. This is Heda from Guatemala, sitting in the fellowship hall at the Blythe Seventh-day Adventist Church. And the next man is George, contemplating the children they left back home while they came to the States to get processed on asylum claims. This is uh, the friends, this is right out in front of the Blythe Seventh-day Adventist Church where they're feeding up oatmeal and bananas and peanut butter and toast day after day after day, dipping into their own church funds because they have neighbors and strangers on their sidewalk. When we open the Bible, sometimes it will call for this kind of active, assertive, urgent kind of justice. All of it, all of it, all of it matters in the Bible. Turns out you don't have to have a spiritual gift or a special talent to exercise any of this justice that we're demonstrating this morning. You don't have to be liberal or conservative. Please hear me carefully today. We do not have to be liberal or conservative. Justice does not belong to the left or the right. Justice belongs to God. And for those of us, and I, com I, I confess sometimes I am stuck here, for those of us who believe that politics in our world is somehow involved of all, all of this, we have to hold still and stop. To allow political issues and allegiances to get in the way of our biblical call to justice is a form of idolatry. I have to hold still and think more carefully about this. Biblical call to justice is huge, it's large. It can't be constrained by politics. Oh, sometimes some political action will be used. Seventh-day Adventist Christians from the earliest days have been involved in that. Biblical justice is always so much larger. Why? Because God is just. God is a God of justice. God's very character is just. Read the Psalms, read the prophets. You can read the book of Job. We can read, actually go all the way to the beginning of the story, back up to Genesis chapter one. In the beginning when God created and called it all good. And then God said, let us make humans in our own image. And God creates us, male and female. Let them rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky. Let them take care of one another. Have, have children, God said. Grow, fill the earth, master it, rule, rule over it means be responsible for it. 
it turns out in the beginning of God's story, not only is it a just and generous God, but God creates just and generous creatures. And the image and the likeness of God is on all of us, friends. There is no sin, there is no terrible mistakes we've made that wipes the image of God off of any of us. The default is not what we've done wrong. The default will always be creatures made in the likeness and the image of God. This is why from the beginning of God's story, there will be this radical call to look each other in the face and say, I see you, you're made in the image of God. I have to respond. Biblical justice begins in Genesis chapter one. To cherish what God cherishes. It's the covenant God made with us to love what God loves. It takes practice. We don't understand it all today. We bought a new mattress in our home two weeks ago. I am not sleeping very well. We went back to the mattress store. The nice man who sold us the very expensive mattress said to me, go lay back down on your bed and try again. And Kirby and I looked at each other and I said, I'm not sure I was clear with you. I'm only sleeping about an hour at a time. He said, that's because your mattress is not used to your body yet, and you keep getting out of bed. If you would stay in your bed, <laughs> your mattress will get used to your body. I said, I'm not sure you understand. I can't sleep only one hour every night. Where are you going when you wake up? I'm going to go to the couch or the other bed. Well, again, that is the problem. The mattress cannot get used to you if you're not actually in your bed. Then he said to Kirby, maybe you should sleep on her side for a while. Help her break it in. You will not get used to this until you actually do this, the guy says. So I went home and I'm trying this ridiculous mattress. And justice can be like this, church. We don't get used to it until we do it. We don't understand. It's actually not so special and big, and there's no applause needed. No wonder Dr. Rodriguez is so humble. He understands this is actually just the way we are asked to live in God's world. Justice, it has to grow on us. We have to allow it to grow on us. So church, as we close, let me show you. These are just a few of the things happening in the month of May. The Ghanaian mission trip. They've asked us to come or to write checks because they're going to go home and help with medical care. Is that everyday generous kind of justice or is that the more urgent kind of care, call to action? You tell me. We've been asked to bring food for the next few weeks to help our students from the International Student Office. Please look at the list. Bring these foods. Is this the everyday generous kind of justice? Or is this the more radical, urgent call to action? We're going to do the foster youth event this month. This means making sure every student who's emancipated out of foster care in the city of Riverside gets a signed card and a graduation gift. And it comes from us. Is this everyday generous kind of justice? Or is this the more radical, urgent call to action? The end of the month, we're gonna partner with this foster idea, Foster All, the people who do foster family in our county. The Foster All people will be out here the last Sabbath of May. You'll, we'll have an interview in church. They'll have information and options in the lobby. If you've considered being a foster family, they're gonna ask us 
to make good on it that day? Is this the more everyday generous kind of justice or is this the more urgent appeal to activism? This is just a few of the things happening in our community this month. It turns out justice matters. Biblical justice matters. Everyday, generous, and the urgent activism. Next week, we will have 100 copies of a book here called Do Justice, uh, edited by Nathan Brown and our friends in Australia at Signs Publishing. We'll have 100 copies right down here. The first 100 people come and take a book. This is how serious we are for the month. Pick up the reading guide that's also in the literature rack Check out one of these titles for adults, for teens, for kids. Just pick one title. There's one title here that comes with a study guide for small groups. Take it to your small group. Dig in deep for the next few weeks. The Tim Keller book called Generous Justice comes with a study guide. We're asking for a few weeks for God to teach us what does justice look like actually when we're living it out loud. Difference between what we do, Mahatma Gandhi says, the difference between what we do and what we're capable of doing would suffice to solve most of the world's problems. He has just summarized the difference between everyday generous living and urgent activism. When uh, we were speaking about Elvin and Lynette earlier, we said, Elvin's very clear to us over all these years. I don't have to be up front all the time. I want the young children and the teenagers to know that this is their church and they can use their skills here. It would be wrong for me to always be up front. And Elvin and Lynette bring their students here sometimes. And uh, not only does Elvin say it would be wrong for, it to, for us to dominate, but, but please watch when Vivian Tamanaha was here just a few weeks ago. Look at just a few seconds. violin student. She doesn't need a doctorate of music performance to accompany her, does she? But look at how they share the space. A little boy from another country whose parents brought him here to flee a dictator who grew up and grew roots deep and a little girl growing now in the same community who can look to the left and see everyday generous living really does happen. Little girls and doctorates of music share space together. It's simple and spectacular all at the same time. Do justice, love mercy, 
Walk humbly. Amen.